and hear the word of God with that as our prelude and stunning foundation from Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the new day sun. God always blesses reading God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for that beautiful praise. Thank you for your scriptures this morning. Thank you for these psalms that speak so profoundly, God, to our hearts. Out of the heart of someone like King David. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. Shape this proclamation as only you can. We trust you. Help us trust you more. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Beautiful music, beautiful psalm, beautiful proclamation of trust in God. Wow. So we went camping last weekend up at Silver Lake, a little spot up there just a few miles from the from the border with Canada. Oh man, it's beautiful up there. And we drove up. We picked our campsite online and we uh, drove up. I was so excited to see the campsite and it's this beautiful park on this lake and I thought we're going to have woods right behind us. It's going to be terrific. It's going to be precious. And it was. Except that when we drove, to our, drove up to our campsite there, right behind we were gonna, where, we were, where we were setting up the tent, right there was a chain link fence. Yeah. You know, here we drove all this way up to get to the woods and be, be up in, the, in the, you know, the hinterlands and experience you know, the, the rugged camping. And there was a big old chain link fence right behind our tent. Bummer. Not exactly woodsy. But there was more than just the chain link fence. It was all about where you looked. More on that in a moment. Our psalm reminds us today, do not fret because of those who are evil. Do not fret because of those who are evil or do not take offense at the fence. <laughs> Joke. Anyway. Um, well, if only it were that easy. I mean, I had a process of getting past that fence. We'll, we'll, get, you, we'll get to that in a moment. But it's really hard not to fret, not to be frustrated when your expectations aren't met. Now, I've often associated fret in this text with fear, but scholars tell us that the Hebrew word translated fret here actually is more related to anger. 
Literally, do not fret could also be translated, do not get heated. Scholar John Golden Gay says, the verb usually refers to anger. It perhaps points to the heat of anger, to anger blazing, not merely kindling. To the way anger can make a person hot inside. In fact, Dr. Golden Gay says that the grammar here suggests hot anger turned in on oneself because it cannot be expressed toward the person you want to express it to. So we're talking about pent-up fury. Well, there's a lot of that going around, a lot of pent-up fury out there. Maybe you've noticed, as I've had, the way, the way driving takes place now on the roads, I find that there's a lot of aggression on the interstates, the way people merge, the way people pass, the way people drift, and that can tap into my <laughs> aggression and anger too. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've noticed this week um, all the things that are politically charged in our nation going on. Maybe that triggers for you fretting, whether it's fear-based or anger-based. Maybe it's a neighbor who's frustrating you or a coworker who's frustrating you where you have anger and pent-up fury somewhere. Again and again, I come back to what the local police chief, former police chief, Kang, told us when we met with him with the biggest problem that he saw that we need to pray for in our culture was more grace. I said, we said, chief, what can we pray for? He said, pray, basically, he said, pray for more grace. There's a lot of people angry out there and torqued, a lot of pent-up fury. Well, a lot of that's understandable. There are things to be frustrated by or, or worried about or concerned about or even scared of. That's normal. That's human. You can't avoid that. But the Christian claim proclaimed in our psalm is that any and all of that sits within something bigger or someone bigger, a bigger reality all that we fret over, whether it's fear or anger or whatever, all of that internal storming that goes on inside of us for whatever reason, all of that reality, and it is real, we don't pretend it's not real, it's real, but that reality sits within a bigger reality and it's this, according to the song. It's God's world and we belong to him. What does a life that belongs to the Lord look like? Well, our psalm tells us. And then our psalm tells us how to get that. Our psalm gives us perspective and our psalm gives us a prescription. Here's the perspective, first of all, verse one. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. One scholar puts it this way. Evil men may get their way and move up. They may gain power and prestige. They may abuse power, causing great suffering to others. Regardless of how well off the evil are, they are nothing but mortals who live on an earth under God's just and sovereign rule. You notice our text doesn't 
say evil is an illusion. Or it doesn't say, oh, just look away from that. Or, oh, it's no big deal. No, it says there are those who are evil. And there are those who do wrong. That's baked into the biblical reality here. And there's something assuring about that. Our scripture can handle reality. It holds reality. It doesn't say it's illusory. Some spiritual perspectives would just say, oh, that's all just an illusion, or get in touch with a higher reality, ignore that. Scripture does not pay, play fast and loose with that. It says, there's evil, there's wrongdoers. But we're assured that even the most powerful wrongdoers will fade. That's the word of God. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. I love our church gardens. Do you love them? They are amazing. It's awesome when they are in all their glory, the colors, the beauty. It preaches for those with scriptural eyes to see through Remembering that scripture tells us God's our creator in grace. When you see the gardens that way, you can read the text of creation and see how beautiful it is. But maybe not in January. <laughs> maybe not in February. At least not for the most part. Much of the beauty is broken down. And in that sense, nature, seen through the eyes of scripture, becomes our teacher, right? Because... Even the most beautiful flower or the most beautiful blade of grass never ceases to be vulnerable. So it is with evildoers. That's our perspective. One scholar concludes, in his kingdom the wicked may thrive like grass and plants, but they will not stand up under adversity. In the Middle East, the lush spring vegetation may lose its beauty in a few days after a hot, dry desert wind has parched the land. In the same way, the wicked will fade away quickly. No matter how big or bad the evil is, it will fade. Don't you forget it. That's the word of God. That's our perspective. But there's even more. The psalmist doesn't just tell us about what happens to evil. It also tell us, tells us what can happen to us when we live as people grounded and centered in a Godward life. What does that look like? Well, he gives us some quick prescriptions here. This is, so this is what the Godward life looks like in a crazy, cacophonous world full of evil. Here's his prescription. The psalmist, this is David, who knew what it was like to deal with evil people. And we just studied that last couple months in the life of King David. Crazy King Saul, much of his life bearing, much of his life bearing down on King David. So he knew what it was like to deal with that. And yet here the King David is saying, here's how you deal with that. Here's how you live, really live, the Godward life in a world where evil is real. He says this in verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. 
dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So the first prescription in the face of evil is to trust God. In a world full of scary stuff, focus on God. Scholar Derek Kidner commented on this verse. He says this, an obsession with enemies and rivals cannot simply be switched off, but it can be ousted by a new focus of attention. You may not be able to turn it off, but you can turn away from it and look elsewhere. This is the call to trust in God. This is what we're doing right now. This is what we're doing when we hear that beautiful song from Aji and Marissa and when we sing together. We're trusting God. So to trust God is to refocus, to reorient, to recenter. When I was at the campsite and I was like, oh man, we got a fence. We got a fence right behind our tent. I wanted to camp in the woods. I wanted to have a sense of getting up at the night at night and not knowing is there a raccoon out there? You know, what's happening? Now I got a chain link fence when I get out of my out of my tent at night, right? But as I turn away and I set my chair down and I look in the other direction away from the chain link fence, I see up a hill and there are these tall, straight pines, 90, 100 feet high, reaching to the sky, preaching, Matthew, look up. Bro, look away from the fence. Don't take offense. Look up. The trees were preaching to the preacher. Look up. Okay, I, I get it. It's all about where we look. That fence was still there. And we'll get another campsite next year. We're not going to do that one again. But, but, it worked out great. Just had to turn and look up. Well, uh, in that orientation of, of turning and looking up, trusting God, we're also called to do good. It says, trust in God and do good. It's so simple. You know, he doesn't say, uh, trust in God and save the world. It doesn't say, uh, trust in God and fix it. it. just says, trust in God and do good. Do some good. There is something about camping that when you're camping, you exert yourself, but that exertion of yourself in different ways, you know, going and getting water from the water pump, right? Or making fire, or cleaning the camp up, you know? Or even having to sleep, we had cots, but you know, they're a little bit lower than the bed at home, right? So you use some muscles though differently, so you're still, you get a little sore, you know? So, so but there's something grounding about that in a different kind of way when you're, when you're camping and you're doing things differently. And the same goes when we're doing good. It's a form of exertion that also grounds us and changes our perspective when you're doing good. You might get a little sore from doing good. You might get a little tired. 
You might find it takes you off your normal path to do good, to do something good, to go out of the way to talk to that person or spend time or really ask someone how they're doing and meaning it or uh, making someone a lunch or taking someone to lunch or, or, or uh, cleaning up the neighborhood in some way or serving a friend, doing good. You might exert yourselves in ways that leave you a little tired, but that, like camping, grounds you by using different muscles. Doing good grounds us by shifting us off our path and using the, the primal muscles that God gives us. It's freeing. Trust in the Lord, turn toward God, and, and do good. And do good. Very simple. Secondly, dwell in the land. Or I should say, thirdly, dwell in the land. Don't be distracted by the fence or whatever you take offense at, right? In the campsite, in the one morning, I woke up and I looked in the other direction and there was sunshine streaming in the trees, streaming in the trees. It looked like a cathedral of praise. Nature gave me a church. Nature gives us a church to praise God. It was praising God, seeing through the eyes of scripture. You can see creation's praise. The morning sun shining in. This is what it means to dwell so we trust in the Lord, we do good in the simple things, and then to dwell, to be fully present to whatever is happening around us, to being really able to see, not just take offense, <laughs> but to see the cathedrals in our midst. And I was thinking about this. There is something about the beauty of the Pac Northwest. Oh my goodness, do we live in this land that is just astoundingly beautiful. And there are cathedrals everywhere, outdoors, in mountains, in water, in the beauty of the flowers. But you know, with a Godward attitude, when you really dwell in whatever space you're in, any place can be a cathedral. Even an office cubicle, even a checkout line, even waiting for the car wash, even I-5 when somebody cuts you off, that can be a little church. It's all a matter of how we dwell, fully dwelling there and not just focusing on the offense, but turning and looking and seeing where the cathedral is of praise and how we can do good and serve God in it. So trust God, do good, dwell on the land. And then there's this verse, enjoy safe pasture. Dr. Kidner notes that this can be translated enjoy security. It can also mean tend as a shepherd, feed on, be friends with, strive after. Enjoying God's faithfulness. Taylor Swift uh, has been storming the nation with this incredible tour. She had 70,000 for two nights in a row down at the Seahawks football stadium. Made so much uh, noise in the dance of the Swifties, the audience, that it registered a 2.2 earthquake on the UW geological Richter scale. Incredible. Now, I don't endorse everything Taylor sings or says, 
But there's good stuff there and she's undeniably talented for sure. And there's joy. When she walks out behind the stage after a show, she's surrounded by bodyguards. There's, I think, four at least. And they walk with her. And she's just joyful and waving the crowd. And, and she's born in Pennsylvania, my home state too. Go Taylor. But she's, she's waving the crowd and just exuding so much joy. She feels safe, secure, knowing those Guys, maybe they're ex-special ops. They're probably some of the best, I would imagine, in the business. She's secure and safe. And that frees her to give herself with pure joy to, to those who come to enjoy with her. Taylor has her security guards that free her to wave and, and love and smile and share joy with, with the audiences there. We, we have the God of the universe and his angels and his people surrounding us, wherever we walk, wherever we go, that is our safe pasture, flanked by God's angels, the Holy Spirit, God's people. And we are a stage, an invitation and joy as church. We are God's performative gospel for the world to come and shake and create an earthquake of good news. We're secure. Ultimately, come what may. Taylor has her bodyguards, God bless him. We have the Lord, thank you. And that's the final prescription. The one who's with us, fourth and finally, after we enjoy take, safe pasture, we take delight in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell on the land, Enjoy safe pasture and take delight in the Lord. Scholar John Goldengate points out that when the psalmist calls on people to delight in the Lord, after which the Lord will give people the desires of their heart, the psalmist is actually saying, before you get what you want, before you even seek what you want, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. By delight in Hebrew, Dr. Goldengate points out that the writer means for us by delight to trust God in a way that shows feeling. Some oomph behind it. Like the Swifties <laughs> create an earthquake. When we worship, we create our own earthquake. Sometimes we just shake ourselves up, shake it off, shake ourselves up, right? The remedy for negative feelings that come from looking at evil is to look at Yahweh, to look at the God of the whole wide world and let appropriate feelings arise. I've been trying to pray more lately. Pastors can get busy and we forget to pray. We delude ourselves into thinking there's something more important. Maybe you know what I mean in your own life. I was talking with Elder Wes Parker yesterday over, over at Starbucks and just saying, boy, you know, it sounds so um, simple to say this, but I'm just learning again the importance of praying and just being with God. It's really powerful. It makes a difference. When we delight in our time with God, it changes our perspective on what we're looking at. Not that God isn't there when we don't pray with him, pray to him or pray with him, but that when I pray, I'm more in tune with the God who is there. It is my taking delight, and that brings delight.
enjoying God first and attending to the circumstances second. I'm grateful for our camping trip because it grounded me in exerting in a basic way that reminds me of what life is about. More importantly, I'm grateful for the psalm and the call to trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture, and take delight in the God who loves us so well. May it be so for you and me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I know God's people said, amen, amen, amen.